I'm somebody who studies history very closely, as you know. It's a fascination for me. And one thing I can tell you for sure is that all throughout history, gold has been a measure of wealth. And with good reason. Gold has never been worth zero. And guess what? Now you can have real gold and silver as part of your wealth, either in your retirement accounts or delivered securely to your home by working with the Oxford Gold Group. This is the industry leader in precious metals and the only gold and silver company I trust. Oxford Gold Group will beat any competitor's price on gold, silver, platinum, and palladium. If you want to get financial stability, you need to look into acquiring real gold and silver with the Oxford Gold Group. Call Oxford today at 833-600-GOLD. Don't gamble with your hard-earned money. Put your money into something solid, safe, and secure. Call the Oxford Gold Group at 833-600-GOLD and get your free investment guide right now, 833-600-GOLD. This is Buck's First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, audience of the Buck Sexton Show. I am not Buck Sexton. I am Rob Smith. And I want to just let you know who I am um, as I go into this journey of guest hosting for Buck Sexton today. First of all, um, I am an Iraq War veteran. I'm a senior contributor to Turning Point USA. I'm the author of a book called Always a Soldier. And I am the host of my own podcast. It is called Rob Smith is Problematic. You can get that um, on iHeart Podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. I met Buck Sexton. Buck is a, is a really great, amazing guy. I met Buck Sexton randomly. I've been doing uh, media for a while. I come out as conservative about uh, three years ago. And this is probably about a year and a half ago at this point. I met Buck on the subway in New York City pre-COVID before all of this craziness. And, and Buck runs up to me. It's like, hey, Rob, like you're Rob Smith. You know, how's it going? I listen to your stuff. I love it. Um, and we're just talking. You know, Buck is a, is a normal guy. He, I've met a lot of media figures in this world because when you do this, you meet everybody. And Buck is uh, one of my favorite people that I've met in this industry. He was just very normal. He was very gregarious. He said, hey, Rob, you know, it's great to meet you. Um, and just a, a couple of days later, I met him again at um, at a gala for the, I think it was a New York Young Republicans Republicans Club. So Buck and I are very cool. He actually gave me the advice as to what podcast mic I should buy for my first podcast. So I say all this to say Buck is a great guy. I am so happy and thrilled to be filling in for you. I am not Buck. I am me. But I think that if you like Buck Sexton uh, and you like his point of view, I think that you will like my point of view. So let's get into it. So this week, uh, is was obviously um, another week in in this sort of new America that we live in, in which everybody is obsessed with race all the time. If you cannot tell from my voice, or if you have never you know heard of of me before, never seen any of my my stuff, I am black. I'm a black American, so I came out as conservative, like I said a couple of years ago. Um, and I have a lot of takes on very many things. But let's talk about. What everyone is talking about this week, which is this George Floyd, uh, Derek Chauvin trial verdict, right? And, and, and so let's, let's 
start back off with the initial video, which I saw it, you saw it, everyone saw it. Everyone saw the video of this officer, you know, with his knee on George Floyd's neck for, for nine minutes and 29 seconds, I believe. Um, and, you know, this has kind of been memory hold. This has kind of been wiped out of the memory of America. But everybody, left or right, was absolutely horrified at this video. That is... Uh, was never under question. I, I think that a lot of people on the left wanted to pretend that there was any conservative with any platform, uh, mainstream or otherwise, that was at all defending Derek Chauvin's um, actions in this case. And that never happened. So so first of all, let's just start there. Uh, the video was horrifying. And, and for me, it, it's quite obvious that there was something very wrong here with this officer's behavior. Not only the violence of it, but the callousness with which he looked at the people that were screaming for him to stop all of this other stuff. Um, this is very disturbing. I've never discounted that. And the vast majority of conservatives have never discounted that. So there's this idea that this was somehow a, a left-right thing. So there were conservatives that were uh, championing this, and there were leftists uh, or people on the left that were saying this is wrong. So that is false, first of all. And so now the question is, now that the verdict has come in, and this man has been found guilty of all, of all charges, guilty of murder of three charges, uh, I think that he has uh, faces up to 40 years in prison or something like that. So the question is now, did this man get a fair trial? And I believe that that is a fair question to ask. I, I really do. When we're talking about our criminal justice system, when we're talking about um, the idea that everyone deserves a fair trial. The question is, did this man get a, get a fair trial? That's a fair question to ask. And the reason people are asking this question is because Never before have we seen so much intervention from outside sources, from outside people um, that could influence the way a jury sees a case or, or could influence this verdict. Now, one of the the craziest interventions right here was was from uh, Maxine Waters. And everybody knows Maxine Waters literally. So the first of all, Maxine Waters, um, the you know, has been in Congress for 30 years. It's done absolutely nothing for her district. She lives in a six million dollar home outside of her district, which is in California. So she flew all the way across the country to insert herself right in the middle of this moment and to tell people that were protesting. This was before the verdict. Um, that we need to get more confrontational because we want a guilty verdict. In fact, her behavior and sort of inserting herself into this national conversation was so egregious that even the judge in the case said that this may be, you know, grounds for an overturn on appeal. This is the judge that said this. And, and he said over and over and over again that he wishes uh, that political figures would have stayed out of this case, but they did not stay out of it. So, so Maxine Waters um, intervene in this. And this is what she said. And, and basically, there was the threat of more violence and more looting if this trial did not come out the way that the BLM mob wanted it to come out. If this man was not found guilty of all three counts, then there was going to be more violence or looting. I knew it. I know it. You know it. Uh, everybody knew it. This is why Minneapolis was boarded up. This is why they were they were they were stealing themselves for this verdict in case it did not come back guilty. So there's definitely she was definitely calling for virus in this moment. OK. And but the thing about it is, is that she can get away with this because she's going to have um, these brain dead idiots in the mainstream media defending her. And one of those brain dead idiots in the mainstream media is Don Lemon, who has the absolute wrong take about everything. 
And, you know, I want you to play uh, Cut 17. This is Don Lemon defending Maxine Waters in this case. Look at me, everyone. Do you really think Maxine Waters is calling for violence? Maxine Waters is not calling for violence. Everyone knows that. She makes a lot of people uncomfortable, especially a lot of men, and quite frankly, especially, especially a lot of white men, because she puts them in her place. She tells you, shut up. Respect this person. Don't talk to me that way. And she gives it to you like it is. She gives it to you like it is. So, you know, somebody like Maxine Waters will always be able to do this. And, and, got, and you know, these leftist politicians, they say the, the nuttiest stuff because they will be protected by the mainstream media and by people like Don Lemon. And so he says people with half a brain know she wasn't calling for violence. That is that is garbage because those people that were in the streets in in Minneapolis protesting knew exactly what she was saying. And she knew exactly what she was saying as well. So that was just one aspect of the, the influence that, that outside sources had on this case. And mind you yet again, uh, I'm not, I'm not defending Derek Chauvin. I'm not defending this stuff. The question that we should be having here as all Americans is, did this man get a fair trial? Right. And so there, there was this, there was Joe Biden literally saying as the jurors were deliberating that he was praying for the quote unquote right verdict. Right. So this stuff matters. We have an NPR article that was literally titled what we know about the jurors in the Chauvin case. These people that were on this jury had to have been terrified for their lives. They had to have been terrified as to what would happen to them. And this is regardless, white, black, otherwise, they had to have been terrified as to what would happen to them if they in their minds thought that that Chauvin was not guilty of murder, that he was guilty of manslaughter or something else. And that's the question here is, did he get a fair trial? I hope that he got a fair trial. I hope that these jurors who, by the way, were not sequestered. Um, in this case, they were not sequestered. So they went home every single day and they saw all of this stuff. So my hope is that he got a fair trial. My gut is that it, it didn't. And, and the thing about it is, is that all of these jurors knew exactly what would happen to this country had this man been had this man not been found guilty on all counts. And they responded accordingly. They did. And I'm going to wrap this conversation up with a tweet from somebody that I, I follow on, on Twitter named Mike Cernovich. If you guys don't follow him, follow him. He tweeted this on the facts and law. The Chauvin case was always a close one. He could have been properly convicted, but he did not get a fair trial as everyone from rioters to a member of Congress to the president of the United States tampered with the outcome. Today is one of national disgrace, a true insurrection. And I do not think that Cernovich is wrong. And so now that we have gotten this guilty verdict in the Derek Chauvin case, this man has been found guilty of murdering George Floyd. You would think that um, a, a lot of the people whose voices were so strong about this, we have to get this man convicted. We have to get this man convicted. You would think that, that they would be satisfied with this because they got what they wanted. You would think that they would be satisfied with this verdict, but no, they are not. And I want to play for you just a, a couple of the things that the the most prominent black politicians um, in America and some of the most prominent politicians in America of any color um, have said, uh, I, I want you to play uh, play cut one, play Cory Bush. This verdict is a step. It's a popping of the lock to be able to get to the place where we can open the door and really start to do the work to save lives. And so 
this egregious murder that happened. We can call it murder now. This egregious murder that happened. It should not be that it has to look like that in order for us to have some type of semblance of what people call justice. This was accountability, but it's not yet justice. Justice for us is saving lives. Justice for us is saving lives. And so what you see here, this is this is really interesting. Um, this is a moving of the goalposts, right? So this verdict, um, a, a guilty verdict, is, it is what people wanted, right? And this was originally seen as justice when they wanted a guilty verdict. So now they got this guilty verdict. Um, they got the guilty verdict. And, and thank God Minneapolis didn't burn. Thank God other cities did not burn. I, I think that everybody is very happy about that. In fact, you know, somebody, you know, Greg Gutfeld over on Fox got in a little bit of trouble because he said what a lot of people were thinking. Is this something that I would say? Absolutely not. But he said, and this is what Greg Gutfeld said, which I found so interesting. He said, I'm happy. I think he said that I don't, it was something to the effect of, I don't know if Chauvin was guilty or not in terms of the charges, but I, I am happy that he was found guilty because I don't want my streets to be burning. I don't want riots to be happening. I don't want all of this stuff that we know happens when 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 these situations come to America. I don't want all this stuff to happen. Uh, is that something that I would say? No. Uh, but that is something that a lot of people are thinking. And here's the thing. You're going to hear a, a lot of this stuff. When Corey Bush says that this is about accountability, but it's not yet justice, they have not achieved the goals that they wanted to achieve with this. And by the way, and I'm going to get into this a little bit later, there are some goals with criminal justice system overhaul that are good goals, that are goals that we should all want as a society. Because the thing about it is, we have to have a conversation about the criminal justice system, which, yes, has been grossly unfair to African Americans and has been for decades. That is a fact. We know that, right? That is why. Under the Trump administration, uh, they passed the First Step Act for criminal justice reform. Now, this was passed under the Trump administration. As a matter of fact, I remember lobbying on Capitol Hill with, with me, Candace Owens. I think we lobbied Ted Cruz about it. We definitely we lobbied Senator Rand Paul about it. So this was a, this is a conversation that has become non, nonpartisan, um, this conversation about criminal justice reform. This is a bipartisan conversation. And so now... This George Floyd case and, and everything about it is kind of being used for this, to, to push this, which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing. But the problems that I have with this, and I'm going to get into this in a little bit, the problems that I have with this are using um, and, and martyring George Floyd in this conversation, and I want you to listen to there are, are a couple other people that that had something else to say about this. I want you to play cut three. Uh, play Bakari Sellers. Yeah, this is not justice. I don't want anyone to get confused about the journey that we're on, the journey that we're on together. I mean, there are a couple of things. Um, justice would be uh, George Floyd alive. Justice would be policy and reforms in place that ensure that when police interact with people of color, they can live through those interactions. Yesterday was a good step when it comes to accountability, though, and you have to have some hope because finally we have accountability in a criminal justice system 
that hasn't ever been there before. And so that is why people are breathing easier. That's why people are having some semblance of hope because of that accountability. And so the issue that I have with that is this. When we talk about accountability and when we talk about breathing easier, and and, and I have to say that there are a lot of these uh, black leftist political commentators that make a career out of pretending that the average black American walks through this world being afraid of police, that the average black American walks through this world um, thinking that they are going to be, in LeBron James's words, hunted down by white police officers, right? They, they make a living off of this. And the, the issue that I have with this is that, and this is something that, that nobody really wants to say, but, the, but I'll say it. The issue that I have with this is this. None of these people deserve to die. You know, George Floyd didn't deserve to die. Breonna Taylor didn't deserve to die. These people did not deserve to die. So that is not the conversation. And whenever you kind of like poke holes in, in these talking points, the idea people say, oh, well, you know, you just you think that they deserve to die and all this stuff. That, that's not the conversation. So the conversation is this. We never take into account the structural issues that exist within these communities that lead certain people to have more negative interactions with the police to engage in, in the types of crime and in, in, in that kind of stuff that will lead you to have a negative uh, interaction with the police. We had another, another BLM case, you know, you're not going to hear anything about them, about this case anymore. That's over is young man named Dante, Wright, Right. Um, so Dante Wright was shot and killed by police officers. And of course, this is going to be another BLM thing. This is going to be another, you know, justice in the streets, protest, all of that other stuff. And then the body cam footage comes out and you see that, number one, that this man was this man had multiple warrants. He was stopped uh, by the police officers. Now, when the story was first gotten to the media, um, they, they interviewed the mother and the mother said, oh, well, he called me because he got stopped by, because some some air fresheners were, were you know, hanging off of the uh, the rearview mirror, which was a total lie, by the way. And so when the story gets out, they, you know, you think that this young man was just shot and killed by these police officers. And it turns out that it was a tragic accident. Number one, this man had warrants. Um, He struggled with the police officers and drove away. Some idiot cop shot him with the gun, thought it was her taser. She needs to never wear a badge again, by the way, because that was awful. Uh, But this thing ended up being a tragic mistake that wasn't at all racially motivated. But we never have the conversation as to why we do not want to talk about the failings in in these structures and the failings in some segments of the community that leads to people having more negative interactions with the police. We never talk about crime rates. We never talk about fatherlessness. We never talk about broken families. We never talk about any of that stuff. So then it becomes we have created a world in which the government, you know, this is the world that the left wants to create, uh, a world in which the government controls all. But the government is the the de facto daddy in these homes. And so the government is always at fault. And that is where the conversation is. I don't like it. The conversation never really moves past that. But I have to tell you that in all of this stuff, in the George Floyd stuff, in the BLM protests, and all of this stuff. And I want to get into a, a little bit more of this after the break, because George Floyd is not someone to be martyred. He is only being martyred and treating treated in the way that he is, because he is a pawn for their agenda. 
a lot of you like me are just at that phase where you're starting to think about the future, your family, how you're going to build for the security that you want. And so you're putting a little money away in an IRA or 401k. You're taking the basic steps to protect yourself financially and to build. And part of that should also be on your to-do list, establishing a will or trust. And at trustandwill.com, setting up an estate plan is simple, convenient, and secure. For as little as $39, you can nominate guardians for your children, determine who gets your stuff should the need arise, and plan for future medical care, all from the comfort of your home with just clicks of a mouse. It's so easy. Hiring a traditional estate attorney can actually cost thousands of dollars, and they use a one-size-fits-all approach. It's not nearly specialized enough. Trust and will documents are designed by estate planning experts and customized for the state you live in. And they've got live customer support seven days a week. Their team's available to answer any questions you have. This is just one of these things you've got to do. And you want to do it now. Get it out of the way. Like getting your taxes done early. You want to get this done too. Give yourself the opportunity to prepare now for your future. Gain peace of mind at trustandwill.com slash buck. You'll get 10% off plus free shipping of your customized legal documents. Just go to this website, trustandwill.com dot com slash buck that's right 10 percent off plus free shipping at trust and slash buck this is the buck sexton show podcast follow buck on facebook instagram and twitter so the truth is that george floyd does not matter to the left this young man, Dante Wright, does not matter to the left. Uh, Brianna Taylor, these people don't, these people do not matter to the left. These are pawns for their agenda. And, you know, it, it's so funny because every once in a while, they say the quiet part out loud. These leftist politicians and these leftist political commentators, all of that stuff, they, they say the quiet part out loud. Basically, Minneapolis Mayor, Mayor Jacob Fry said that he's he's getting slammed for this. He said that George Floyd's death, quote, will have bettered our city. He said George Floyd's death will have bettered our city. White liberals, I'm telling you, they are literally something else. This was the same Minneapolis mayor, by the way, um, <laughs> that, that totally got cucked by a, a, a mob of BLM protesters last summer. They basically told him he was trying to talk to them. He was trying to empathize with them. He was trying to do all of these things that, that weak leftist politicians that are run by the mob do. Um, and he tried to apologize for him. <laughs> and and he basically got cucked. He basically got ran out, ran out of all of this stuff. So that's that's who Jacob Fry is. He's he's weak. He's a cuck. You know, uh, this stuff is happening in, in Minneapolis. His city uh, w- was burned down. Basically, George Floyd's death will have bettered our city. No, <laughs> George Floyd's death and everything that that was behind it has destroyed Minneapolis um, to the tune. I believe it was. $55 million worth of property dan- damage. I, I went into this um, on my, my podcast episode this week. Uh, I have a podcast. Rob Smith is problematic. I, I got into that. So no, George Floyd's death did not better their city. It actually destroyed their city. This entire situation, this entire media moment has, has destroyed the city to the tune of $55, millions of dollars, $55 million in property damage. And what people do not realize when it comes to all of this stuff is that that $55 million in property damage, that stuff keeps on going generationally, right? 
I was on the ground in Minneapolis last summer. I went there right after the protests. I personally, throughout my social media following, I felt so strongly about what was going on in Minneapolis. I raised like $130,000. You could look it up. $130,000 to help rebuild Minneapolis. Uh, the bulk of that money went to an organization called the, I believe it's called the Lake Street Council in, in Minneapolis. So we raised about $130,000. Um, that, that went to the Lake Street Council to, to build up Minneapolis. When you walk down the streets of Minneapolis, it is like, and guys, let me tell you something. I, I told you I'm an Iraq War veteran. It was like, it was like being in Baghdad. I had never seen anything like this. I had never seen anything like this. You walk down the streets, the Walgreens, is completely bombed out. There was a target that was bombed out. If you get deeper into my social media, um, I'm on, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Rob Smith Online. If you get deeper into that, I, I took a video inside the target as it was being ransacked. Um, Wendy's gone, AutoZone gone, liquor store gone, a whole bunch of local bars, restaurants, clubs, this whole strip completely gone, completely decimated, right? And so ask yourself why you never see these images. The only thing that the mainstream media is going to want to show you that is coming out of Minneapolis is that George Floyd Memorial, which, by the way, when you watch local news reports there, people that live in that neighborhood say that that area is not safe at night. So that's all you'll ever see from the mainstream media. But you will not see the streets that are completely bombed out. It is insane. And what happens with that is that it affects businesses in the future um it it stops them from wanting to open up there it stops people from wanting to live there and who is affected by these riots these blm protests to the tune of millions millions of dollars let me tell you something it ain't white liberals all right because white liberals do not live here in these neighborhoods it is always black people it is always black americans that are bearing the brunt of this stuff. It is black Americans who now have no Walgreens, have no AutoZone, have no Target. It happens all the time. Even, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, probably probably last week, uh, people were, were looting the Dollar Tree in the neighborhood. And so now, these people have martyred a man who was basically, look, George Floyd was a common criminal. This man committed armed robberies. He held a gun to a pregnant woman's stomach in one of them. This is a thing. This man had a golden casket funeral. This man is being mart- martyred. This man is being immortalized as some sort of patron saint of black history. There are people, and I am not kidding you guys with this. There are people that are getting baptized at the George Floyd Memorial because this is how little people like Jacob Fry. And Nancy Pelosi and all these people, this is what they truly believe about black people. This is what they think. I am honestly sick and tired of this. And I honestly, so is so is Candace Owens. And she has come under fire for some statements that she made um, about this whole thing and, and about the, the trial in general. Play cut 20. 
This was not a trial about George Floyd or Derek Chauvin. This was a trial about whether the media uh, was powerful enough to create a simulation and decide upon a narrative absent any facts, whether it was powerful enough to repeat showing and talking about a nine-minute clip that came from somebody's cell phone without adding any context, without showing the full, you know, the full police video, which they could have released. They refused to release the full body cam, which would have added more clarity um, to the fact that the media was lying. You know, the media came out. Let's not forget this, Tucker. The media came out and told us that this was a man who was just getting his life together. He was a good, you know, good member of society, and he got mixed up because a racist white police officer had it out for him and, and killed him. All of that fell apart. All of the facts came out, and all of that fell apart. We now know, of course, that he had enough fentanyl in him. It was three times the lethal dosage, three times lethal dosage in him when he died. But nobody cares, because the media was successful in putting out a narrative, and they kept hitting that narrative. And the reason why the Democrats are happy is because they realize, of course, the media supports them and now means the Democrats can get whatever they want because they can create a narrative and then they can treat people like pawns and get them to basically say, if we don't get what we want, we will riot, we will loot, we will send these people out like soldiers to destroy your neighborhoods. And that is exactly what has happened. That has been the determination of this trial. The media and the Democrats now have enough power to bully, to bully and to lie to and to create propaganda and to successfully win. And that is what happened. And they are celebrating that win today. This was not a fair trial. Only one side. No person can say this was a fair trial. And I mean, of course, of course, she's absolutely right. Of course she is. But, you know, that's the thing. You know, you're, quote unquote, not allowed to say that. And of course, you know, Candace started trending and they were calling her, you know, all sorts of names, you know, whatever they call, you know, black conservatives that that don't kind of like toe this liberal line. And when we come back from the break um, to, to wrap at least this part of this up. I want to play you what they are saying that they they people are basically saying that this is just life in America for all black people. I reject it. And I'm going to tell you why after the break. And so there's this idea that this George Floyd case, Derek Chauvin, all of this other stuff, there's this idea that black Americans just exist in this world in which this could happen to us at any moment. So since I'm a black man, I exist in this world that <laughs> I can literally walk out of the house and, you know, I'm just going to get gunned down by police, police officers. So I want you to play. Um, I want you to play cut five for me in a second. This is Marilyn Mosby. This <laughs> this woman is <laughs> she is the state's attorney for Baltimore, Maryland. And, and this is what she has to say about all this. It was thanks to that video that visually depicted George Floyd being callously murdered on camera that could not be contradicted. And while I understood the prosecutor's argument to the jury, I wholeheartedly disagreed that what Derek Chauvin did was not policing in America. Because what Derek Chauvin did to George Floyd is absolutely policing in America for black people in this country. The infliction of excessive force, the violation of de-escalation policies, the refusal to render aid, the complete and utter indifference to the lives of black people is exactly what policing has been and continues to be for America and in America for black people. So, yes, Derek Chauvin was on trial, but so was policing in America. So this is a lie. Uh, This is a fallacy. This is something that is not true. The lie 
that this kind of aggressive over-policing, and like I said before, um, it w- this was aggressive, okay? It was, it was criminal in some ways. Like, what Derek Chauvin did to George Floyd was criminal. I've never denied that, nor has any other conservative. Nor n- is anybody else left or right in this country. Nobody's denied that. But this idea that the reality for life of life for black people in America is just to be aggressively over-policed is one that I strongly object to, right? And so this media culture, this is dangerous. And let me tell you something. This media culture with people like, you know, Marilyn Mosby, with people like uh, Bakari Sellers, people like all of these people who basically live, these people live in gated communities. I think Marilyn, Marilyn Mosby bought like two, uh, like two houses in Florida to the tune of a million dollars combined, something like that. So these people live in gated communities, have security. These people are operating at the, the top levels of American society. And what they will have, these brain-dead liberals and, and some of their brain-dead followers believe, is that every black person lives in this world in which they could just be gunned down by police officers. That is just not true. And this is a dangerous message to to all of America, but particularly to black America. And this is a dangerous media culture. It engenders hatred for police officers among African-Americans and the BLM culture that says that in no circumstances should they ever use force, not even when lives are at risk. Every time something like this happens, if, if there's a shooting or something like that, oh, well, you know, you shoot them in the leg or shoot them in the thigh or, you know, shoot the knife out of the hand or something like that. These things uh, are, are not the reality of police officers. I did an interview with a man named Brandon Tatum for my podcast earlier this week. That'll be out in a couple of weeks. And he was a police officer and he talked about this. And this was very interesting. I'm a veteran. You know, I served in the military, but I'm, but I wasn't a police officer. And it was very interesting. He said, in your training, you are, you are taught to aim center mass because that is the largest area of target um, that you can hit. Because if you try to hit a hand or a knee or something like that, you're going to shoot somewhere else and you know you can have a straight bullet and that could possibly kill somebody, right? And so they're not taught to, to speak like this. And furthermore, the most aggressive cop haters, the people that are taught to hate the police more, these are the people that are brainwashed by these brain-dead liberals. And they are taught to be aggressive cop haters and they're in, living in communities that are over-policed because of the simple fact that they are so crime-ridden. And people that actually live in these communities do not want to defund the police. People that actually live in these communities do not want less police. They want more policing. But you will never hear their stories or their messages on the mainstream media because that is not what the mainstream media wants. New York One, I believe, did a did a story where they went to some of these neighborhoods um, deep in Brooklyn and New York because there are areas in New York that are that, that I'm telling you that you do not ever want to go to. Okay, Brooklyn ain't Park Slope. <laughs> okay, in downtown Brooklyn. Brooklyn gets very real. And they went to that area of Brooklyn and they would they asked these people if they wanted more or less police. They always said more police because they know how dangerous these communities can be. And when there are less police on the streets, it is more dangerous for hardworking people of all races, but particularly hardworking African-Americans that live in these communities. And so I want you to look at all of these BLM cases. Look at George Floyd. Look at Jacob Blake. Look at Dante Wright. These are all people with lengthy criminal records that put them into the position to have police interactions. 
And these people were taught to be aggressive to police officers, and they were being taught to hate the cops, and they're being taught that they can, in Dante Wright's case, literally try, literally try to resist, push that woman off of him, and drive away. This is what they're being taught by people who do not live in these communities, who do not really care about these communities. And this is not to say that criminals deserve to die. Again, I am not saying that. I feel like every time you have a conversation about this that is right of center, people want to try to make it seem like you think that people deserve to die. That is not the case. But to people like Marilyn Mosby, the state's attorney for Baltimore, Maryland, which is, by the way, one of the most corrupt, crime-ridden, and dangerous places for black people in all of America, can never say what I am saying to you because she has gotten too wealthy and too powerful off of that system that tells young black people to hate the police, that their lives are in constant danger. Oh, and by the way, vote for the Democrats because we will save you and we will keep you safe. It is nonsense. It is nonsense. It makes no sense. And she does this and other people like her. They all do this because they profit and get rich off of pushing the false narrative that the only factor in these deaths is white racism and racist white police officers. And that's false. And when you want to talk about profiting off of this narrative, Let's talk about the co-founder of Black Lives Matter, Inc., Patrice Cullors, 37 years old. Now, she was just put on blast by the New York Post for having a real estate portfolio to the tune of three and a half million dollars. Now, this includes a one and a half million dollar house, and I believe it's Topanga Canyon, Los Angeles, <laughs> with a uh, population that is one percent, one point eight percent black, by the way. So she's definitely with her people there. A uh, a house in Georgia that has its own private airplane hangar and a, a couple of other properties, right? So you have to ask yourself, who is really benefiting from pushing this agenda? And of course, she tried to clean it up and she said, oh, well, you know, um, you know, I never took any money from BLM. But that's not the point, because she is being paid handsomely via book deals, via speaking engagements, uh, via development deals with, with Hollywood and all this stuff. Because you have to understand that, that Hollywood is in an, on, on all this stuff as well. And they cannot wait to find people that are going to push that agenda because they will be rewarded handsomely. And so the people that are benefiting from this agenda, like Patrice Cullors, to the tune of three and a half million dollars in real estate, God knows how many tens of millions she has accumulated at this point. This is coming at the expense of the real, actual black people that have to live in the neighborhoods that are being destroyed by BLM protests. So when you think about people that are profiting off of this and think about people that are really hurting because of this, think about that. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm worried about all the federal government spending that's going on. No question. And I don't trust this Biden administration one bit. But given the way the Fed's been acting and the fact that we're going to be coming out of lockdown, Maybe we could be in for a really historic boom in the stock market still. I know sounds uh, like a little counterintuitive to some folks, but my friends at Carnivore Trading are all about taking those contrarian positions and making lots and lots of money when they spot key indicators. They think the biggest profits are going to come in sectors ahead that Wall Street experts are largely going to miss. 
Carnivore Trading is an elite squad of strategists who influence major Wall Street investors. And when you subscribe to Carnivore, you'll receive real-time text alerts of explosive trades they're making for their elite clients. You can mirror those trades with your own discount broker or pass if you're not interested, but they're going to give you great opportunities. And when you see how often their trades routinely crush the S&P 500, you're going to realize Carnivore is fantastic. They guarantee you'll earn five times. That's right. They guarantee it five times your monthly subscription or they'll double your money back five X your monthly fee just by mirroring their trades. The market looks to be on the verge of a real upswing here. Get off the sidelines and mirror carnivores trades today. Right now, if you join, you'll get two weeks free. Visit getourtrades.com. That's the website, getourtrades.com, and use promo code BUCK. That's getourtrades.com, promo code BUCK. See website for guarantee terms and conditions, past performance, not a guarantee of future earnings. You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com. So now as we again enter into the summer of love, uh, another summer of love, which by summer of love, I mean another summer of, of race riots, protesting, all of that stuff. There is another shooting um, that is getting a lot of attention right now. And I just want to break down how manipulative the media is when it comes to things like this. And so I'm going to give you a little background in the shooting. There's a young lady named Micaiah Bryant that was shot and killed by a police officer in Columbus, Ohio. And when I saw this, I am from Ohio. I'm proud to be from Ohio. Ohio gave me my values. And when I saw this video, I'm like, oh, my God. You know, or just when I saw the case, I'm like, oh, my God, not Ohio. Like, I really need to see what's happening here. And we're at the point right now where when I see person shot by black person shot by white police officers stories, I'm just automatically critical because there's autumn. There's always more to the story. Right. So this is the background to to this uh, Micaiah Bryan case. So this is a black girl that was in, is, in, is in foster care, was in foster care, was in some kind of altercation. With, with another young lady in the front of her house in Columbus, was shot by a police officer four times, right? So this child was, th- this kid, this, she was a 16-year-old girl, she was shot by the police officer four times. Now, when you listen to that, you are absolutely horrified because you think, oh my God, what, what could have possibly happened? And it turns out, when the body cam comes out, that this young lady had a knife. She was in a fight with another girl. She pushed the girl to the ground. She had a knife and was literally, when you see this footage, she is about ready to plunge this knife into this other girl, this other black girl, by the way, before the cop shot her. So the cop shoots her four times. She dies. Unfortunate. It is an awful, awful, awful situation. It's very unfortunate. So my question is, did he have to shoot her four times? I don't know. I don't know what's going on in that police officer's mind, right? But... That's what we know when we see the body cam footage. And so this is what the media, this is how the media um, reports this stuff when it it first happens. Okay, so this is the New York Post. And I'm going to, this is the headline. Mom of Ohio teen girl fatally shot by cop speaks out. I want answers. So this is the first thing people see. 
And, you know, she says that the daughter was loving and peaceful um, and, and all of this other stuff. And so this is what we're getting from the mainstream media, because they know that they know that this is a narrative that can work for them. And in fact, you know, the uh, the usual suspects, the usual race hustlers hopped on this. Um, Benjamin Crump, the ambulance chasing attorney who's made millions and millions of dollars off of representing a BLM case. These are basically shakedowns of, of local governments, you know, get millions and millions of dollars. So he tweets out, oh, it just, you know, uh, it, this is starting all over again. And an unarmed black girl has been shot by police officers. Obviously, this tweet goes around the world. It goes viral, blah, blah, blah. This, this, this young lady was not unarmed. She had a knife. She had a knife and was about to physically attack a young woman. That knife could have gone into her throat. That knife could have gone into her chest. That knife could have gone into her stomach. We do not know. All we know is that when you watch the footage, this 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 16-year-old girl was, was stopped from stabbing another girl. And so now that we see all this stuff, now that we know the truth, the narrative is still stronger than the truth. And... I'm just going to give you an example of this is what people are are saying about this. This is this is the era that we are in right now, because I'm telling you guys, we live in clown world. We live in absolute clown world. And this is what people say. So this is from a woman named Brie Newsom. Brie Newsom is a, a far, far left race hustler who went viral. She climbed the flagpole in South Carolina and took down the Confederate flag. Um, yeah, I'm not a fan of the Confederate flag. I thought it was a pretty cool moment, you know, whatever. But she has become a, you know, a, a, a far left race hustler. So this is what she does. And, and she, she tweeted, teenagers have been having fights, including not, well, excuse me, sorry. Teenagers have been having fights, including fights, Involving knives for eons. We do not need police to address these situations by showing up to the scene and using a weapon against one of the teenagers. Y'all need help. I mean that sincerely. And by y'all need help, I mean I'm uh, assuming that she means the people um, that that think that that don't think that teenage girls should just be allowed to have knife fights without police altercations. I guess we are the people that need help in 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 the eyes of this woman. This from Valerie Jarrett. Valerie Jarrett, obvious, uh, one of the most powerful women in America, probably in the world. A black teenage girl named Makaya Bryant was killed because a police officer immediately decided to shoot her multiple times in order to break up a knife fight. Demand accountability. Fight for justice. Hashtag Black Lives Matter, of course. So this is what we are getting from these people. And this is the point of time where I wonder if I really am living in clown world. Where I really, I wonder if we are really living in a world in which we have some of the most powerful and influential people in society basically saying that, you know, those teenagers were just fighting with knives. Go ahead and let them fight. Go ahead and let them fight. Go ahead and let that girl, you know, stab the other girl, whatever. You know, just tase her, pull her off, like do what you can. And so the accountability, again, is always on these police officers and it's never on the, the actions of the people that are involved in this stuff. And and that's the, the thing that kills me. And again, I have to say over and over and over again that these people do not deserve to die. That is not what I'm saying. But this is insanity. This is craziness. And instead of having the conversation and sort of breaking down at, at what point 
Um, at, at what point does the degradation of, of the family, at what point do, is this person so troubled that you have a teenage girl that's getting into a knife fight? Nobody wants to ask those questions. And by the way, when we're speaking of this, nobody even knows the name of the young lady whose life was saved. The young lady who was about to get that knife in her throat or her stomach or her chest. Nobody knows who that person is. Nobody knows how she feels about this. Nobody knows how she feels about that cop basically saving her life. Nobody, nobody knows about that. Nobody, because that does not fit the narrative. And the narrative, I'm telling you, the narrative is something that I'm over. The narrative is something is something that I am tired of. This this narrative has to end. We have to start demanding more from people. We have to start demanding more from police officers in a lot of these cases. Absolutely. Absolutely. The woman that, that killed Dante Wright, she's an idiot. She should never wear a badge again. Chauvin obviously used very, very excessive force when it comes to George Floyd. Could this person that, that shot Makai Bryant, could he have tased her or whatever? I don't know. I'm not in that situation. But at a certain point, we have to look in the mirror and talk about exactly what is going on in some of these communities that lead to this. And this is the conversation that the left can never has. And so as soon as someone on the right says it, now look, if a white person on the right says it, they're racist. If a black person on the left says it, um, they're an Uncle Tom. (laughs) You know, it, it just, at a certain point, we are going to have to come back to reality when it comes to the situation of, you know, th- this sort of BLM violence and, and this police violence and all of this stuff. And at a certain point, we have to hold the media accountable for this. And I'm going to tell you why and how we need to do that after the break. All right, guys, if you are just joining us, my name is Rob Smith. I am filling in for Buck Sexton. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Rob Smith Online. And my podcast is Rob Smith is Problematic. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts. So let's get into the media's culpability in all of this stuff. And let's get into how some of the most influential people, influential African-Americans in American society keep on pushing a a negative message. So I'm going to tell you a little story. I used to be a, I'm a recovering journalist. I actually have a master's degree in journalism from Columbia University. I've worked in media industry. I've written for CNN. I've done um, stories and reporting for for NBC News, uh, digital. I did it like Yahoo News or whatever. I did it all. All right. So when I go in, in my media bashing mode, I'm doing it from a place of authority because because I know what this is. And so I'm going to tell you a story about I graduated from Columbia uh, Graduate School of Journalism in 2015. One of my first jobs when I got that master's degree, one of my first jobs out of school was I was a uh, a multimedia journalist for a uh, digital media startup. And basically what this digital media startup was was they would take things that were happening in the news. Um, I would rewrite the story. I would track it. Obviously, you know, I got a great voice. He's been listening to it, hopefully. <laughs> um, so I would I would speak out these stories. I would write it. Um, and then we would put them out there because sometimes these uh, these stories just need video on them. In the summer of 2016, there was nothing that was spoken of more because, uh, mind you, this was an election year. This was when all of the... 
unarmed black person killed by police officers. This is when this really took hold. 2016 was when the narrative really started taking hold in mainstream media. Um, because, first of all, a lot of these mainstream media organizations saw that there was money to be made off of this. So part of my job is looking for the stories, turning them around um, at, at this point in time, about four years ago, five years ago, coming up on, and, and turning on these stories. And the people that were my bosses at the time, at this place, they could not get enough of these black people being shot by white police officers story. They could not get enough of them. I was probably doing about three, four of these a day, right? And that's when I started to realize that there was a financial incentive in all of this stuff from the mainstream media. this There's a financial incentive in this stuff to shoot these stories out there as quickly as possible before they are given any sort of context, context whatsoever. And there is a, a financial incentive to this because it gets clicks. It gets views. People, literally people are outraged by it. it it's all of this stuff. And that is when I realized that summer, doing these videos over and over and over and over again, and having to watch these videos, Philando Castillo, like all that, like over and over and over again. And a lot of these things that when the story came out, they were irrelevant. But by the time uh, when, when the story was more reported on, it was irrelevant. But, but by the time I did the video and put it out, you know, I was just using what was gotten on there at the time. And the media really needs to be held accountable for this. And they really need to be held accountable for things like that New York Post article that I just showed you about that I just told you about in the last segment. Oh, this mom of slain girls shot by police officers. And I think uh, Ben Shapiro this morning, he had uh, had uh, written a Washington, he had uh, shared a Washington Post article, and he had made the point that this Washington Post article about the Micaiah Bryant shooting gets through six paragraphs before it tells you that she was about to stab another young black girl in the chest. And the media has to to be held accountable for this. Even NPR, that that bastion of, of 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 liberal media, NPR, when they now report stories like this, they're literally adding a disclaimer. Some of these facts may end up being not true. So this is what they say. And at what point do people continue to believe these narratives? At what point? I'm very curious about that. And the only point in which we stop believing this stuff and, and, and stop being susceptible to these narratives is when we hold these people to a higher standard. If conservative media didn't exist and if contrarian media and, and, uh, and independent journalists, if these people did not exist, I mean, can you imagine the state our world would be in if we had to depend on the Washington Post or MSNBC or, or NPR to get all of our news? And imagine, by the way, and this is a case in which some of these reforms are great because now we have body cam footage of all of this stuff. And imagine a case in which this Micaiah Bryant shooting had no body cam footage. Think of the story that we would be getting told as Americans if that footage was not out there. So we have to hold this mainstream media accountable. And we also have to hold some of these people that are so influential accountable. LeBron James, you know, that that guy just told you about LeBron James, multimillionaire, you know, oh, I'm black and I'm being hunted in the streets. Yeah, you, you live in Bel Air, bro. 
You have you you're worth like half a billion dollars. Your house is something like eighty nine million dollars or whatever. Yeah, but you're being hunted in the streets. One of the most famous men in the world. It is ridiculous. And they use people like him to push that agenda. But he tweeted and deleted a photo of this police officer um, and used the hashtag accountability. Oh, I'm so tired. I'm so tired of all this. Oh, you are so tired, LeBron. Oh, you are so very tired. No, you're not. You're not at all. You love this because it makes you relevant. It makes you feel like you're doing something when the only thing that you're doing is injecting poison into the minds of Amer- all Americans, but specifically black Americans. And it's false. These things are fake. These are not real. And to wrap up the conversation on this, because I do not want to spend all of my time guest hosting this amazing show with you people talking about BLM stuff and, and, and BLM hoaxes and all of this stuff. I do not want to spend that time talking to you about that. To wrap this up, and I'm going to give you a couple statistics from Fox News today. Um, fatal police shootings as of April 12, 2021, black people, 52, three were unarmed white people, 109, five were unarmed. We will never hear about those white people that were, that were shot by the police officer unarmed because that's not clicks. That's not stories. That's not black pain. That's what these people like, you know, that, that, that doesn't get clicks. That doesn't fuel the narrative, right? So this stuff in this narrative, this is a narrative that is used to divide America. People like George Floyd and all of these other people are being martyred to sell an agenda. And the last thing that I have to say about this is people, black Americans, white Americans, Latino Americans, Asian Americans, gay straight, I don't care who you are. People need to wake up to this agenda. Because this agenda is designed to do nothing but keep us at each, other, at each other's throats. This agenda is designed to do nothing but to destroy America. Which is exactly what these leftists want. This is exactly what the Communist Party of China wants. The Communist Party of China laughs at us. They laugh at this. Okay? They laugh at this. Wake up to the narrative. Wake up to the agenda. That's all I got to say about this. We're going to move on.